still haven't closed a deal yet in your real estate business? Not even once. Then you have found the right place. You're a lifesaver. This is Let's go. the Fearless Millionaire Podcast, where you can gain clarity, confidence, cash flow, and build your business the right way from the inside out. Here's your fearless leader, Nathan Amaral. Thanks so much for joining in. I have a really special guest uh, that I want to introduce you today. Um, Kim Taylor is a nationally recognized corporate securities attorney. Uh, she's a speaker and she's also the author of the number one best-selling book, How to Legally Raise Private Money. It's a great read. I highly recommend it because I know we've been talking a lot about this recently. So guys, make sure you get out and read that book. Uh, she's also the founder of Syndication Attorneys. PLLC, and also she uh, has a website called InvestorMarketingMaterials.com, and the whole purpose of that platform is to help provide quality legal advice in like plain English uh, documents, professionally designed marketing materials, uh, and she has helped clients nationwide do this. And she's prov she's provided and has been responsible for helping investors. Um, I think it's over 300, three over 300 securities that she's done. Kim, thanks so much for. Being, or being on board here today. Thanks so much for being yeah, with thank us. Thank you so much for the invitation, Nathan. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So is it, do I have the numbers right? Is it over like 300 or is that? Actually, I think it's probably closer to 400. I stopped right. counting somewhere around 300. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah, after a while, you're just like, yeah, it's it's over that amount. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's great. Well, like I said, thank you so much for joining in. And you know, this has just been a really hot topic for a lot of people right now where, um, I don't know if it's because of the, the current market conditions and maybe, you know, people are maybe trying to make more money in real estate. But the reality is, is that uh, it's definitely a needed thing. I always have this saying that, you know, if you want to expand your real estate portfolio, eventually you're going to run out of money. So you need to, you know, raise money to do that. So I want to I want to ask some questions and I also want to open it up also to our attendees who are here. By the way, if you're here live with us. All you need to do, any questions you have along the way, just post it in the chat you know, or in the Q and A in, the, in your Zoom, and uh, and we'll get those answered for you live right here. Okay, um, but Kim, let's start off with getting a background story about you and how you got into uh, this position and what you do. Let's let's start there. So back in 2006, uh, my husband and I, my husband's been a real estate investor for 30 years, and uh, I was interested in it. So we decided that we were going to go to an event and get some training on how to do some different types of investments than what we had been doing, which were more single family um, duplexes, those kinds of things. And uh, so we went to an event. Uh, it was with the Learning Annex. So if any of you remember. <laughs> <laughs> what location? What location were you at? at? Los Angeles. Oh, okay. I was in the New York one. Okay. Yeah. We went to the one in Los Angeles Convention Center. It was huge, and there was oh, yeah. thousands of people there. Um, and we went around to different things. There's one guy that I so missed that, that I wish I'd bought his program. It was about how to like restore mansions that people had forgotten about. And I'm always yeah. like, oh, I wish I knew how to do that. That would be so fun. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I didn't do that one. So I went into one about how to buy multifamily. Okay. And uh, learned from David Lindahl. Uh, yeah. Promptly bought his home study course, took it home, and did absolutely nothing with it. Mm. Uh, so I started listening to him for, uh, you know, I started listening to getting on some of his calls and mm. found out about a year and a half later that he was going to be holding a, a multifamily millions event where we could learn more about buying multifamily. So we said, okay, if we're going to do anything with this, mm. we should 
So we went. And then there he announced a private money boot camp, his first ever. So I said, well, you know, I'm an attorney, but I wasn't practicing in this area of the law. So we should probably go to that too. So we decided to go. And um, there I actually met my, uh, my original law partner, who was Gene Trowbridge. Some of you may have heard of him. Um, but I worked with him for uh, over eight years, and um, we started a law firm a couple years later and worked uh, very successfully with it up until about 2016. And then I decided to move to Florida and uh, set up my own practice out here. So hmm. now for, for over 12 years. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's so great. That's okay. So and I remember, I think the last time you and I saw each other in person was I don't know what year it was, but it was at Eddie Speed's Note Investing Expo. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, 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 that was the last time we saw each other. And I think, I can't remember if I was in Uganda already, or maybe I was, you know, I, I, I live most of the time in Uganda and the rest of the time here in Portugal. So, um, but it's, uh, I can't remember, but it was great. It was great to see you that last time there. Um, so a lot of questions have come in, Kim, and, okay. uh, and in some of the, these may sound like, you know, startup questions. There's a lot of people who are interested in our group who are um, want to know they're just either getting started. Maybe it's their first raise. So first question being is um, what, what would be some of the like the first three steps that an investor would take to start raising money uh, legally? Well, the first thing you got to do is figure out what you're raising money for. So you have to have a business plan. So that business plan could be associated with an individual property, or it could be associated with buying fix and flip properties, something like that. But um, usually you've got to have identified what it is that you want to put people's investments in. And so you're going to do that usually by getting some kind of real estate uh, training maybe through some kind of a coaching program or, you know, there's, there's a lot of different trainers out there that train people mm -hmm. how to do this. Um, mm -hmm. So the first is identify what it is that you're raising money for. Mm -hmm. And then second, I think you need to get some structuring advice because that for me was the big mystery when I first started mm -hmm. doing this and I was in that exact same position. Uh, you know, I was like, I have no idea how to split money with investors. How do I do that? Yeah. So, uh, so you got to figure out how the deals get structured because you're going to start talking to people about these investments and they're going to want to know where they fit in. And uh, you're going to feel a lot more confident talking about them if you have some knowledge about that. So, you know, that's something you can do reading my book or, or there's articles on our website about how to structure real estate syndicates. So mm -hmm. Read those, but, but you've got to get some knowledge about that. So you're comfortable talking about it and you have to get familiar with the language uh, that's associated with, putting these groups together. So, um, you know, we've talked about this word syndication, just to kind yeah. of put out there. Syndication right. is really just forming a group that's mm. to pool resources for a common purpose. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so your common purpose is taking your business plan, putting it together with money from investors, and um, you're putting in some sweat equity, they're putting in cash, and you're out there uh, doing this together. Yeah, that's a great that's a great thing you bring up. I wanted to add another question layered in there is is a syndication needed if it's only one or two investors almost well, like business that, partners. Let's get to that a little bit later, but I do want okay. to in that first question. So I think we okay. got the first two steps and I'm sure some of your people are saying, but wait, where's the third step? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The third step is you have to learn how to understand securities laws. Mm. 
Okay, so, so and, and you don't have to become a securities expert. You don't have to become a securities attorney. Right. You just have to have enough knowledge to understand that what you're doing is legal and that you're doing it in a way that is legal. So you can't just automatically go out and start email broadcasting your deals um, because it could uh, preclude you from doing some of the things that you really need to be doing, like bringing in family and friends. Um, so you need to get familiarity enough with securities laws to understand what exemptions there are and uh, what ones apply to you and how to follow those rules. And again, that's something you can get by um, you know, reading, our book, reading my book. There's articles on the website about it, but also um, just having a securities attorney on your team and having a consultation kind of set you on the right course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, I think the council, there's a saying I always have, a lot of my clients and people who are in my groups know this about me, that I always say, make sure your real estate lawyers, even SEC lawyers, are your best friends. Like make them your best friends because they're there to protect you and give you counsel I mean, this is real estate. It's not like, you know, it's, it's not, it's, uh, it's real and uh, real and, and you don't want to get in uh, harm's way or have a, a deal go bad and you're not protected. So they're there to protect you and um, they should be your, your best friends on your power team. Um, in going back to what you said about um, talking to friends and family, a lot of people kind of get hung up on that. They're like, oh, I don't want to talk to friends and family. So um, when it comes to if some people don't want to talk to their friends and family and they just want to go raise money from other people, maybe networking and, you know, whether it's live events or other networking groups or online, what's what what's the regulations to that if they're not if they're going to people that they don't really know? Well, I, first of all, I think we've got to um, kind of dispel the misconception that you shouldn't be raising money from your friends and family, because if you've never done something before, uh, Honestly, strangers are not going to invest with you. Mm. They're, they're going to look at you. The, the first question from a stranger is always going to be, what have you done before? Show me your track record. If you don't have a track record, then the people that are more likely to invest in with, with you are the people that already know, like, and trust you. And hopefully that's your family and friends. Um, if, uh, you know, and, and they will invest with you because they like you, they like the deal, they, like, they want to support what you're doing. Um, so you, you, most of our clients, almost every one of our clients starts out doing friends and family offerings and then graduates up to doing advertised offerings later on after they've built a track record. Mm. Yeah, that, that's a very good point, you know, cause, uh, I've, I've even mentioned this, even, I think it was like about a week or two ago in one of our trainings where we said, you know, instead of scaling up, going bigger, start small, like do a few deals first. And I guess that circles back to the question of what if we just have one or two partners in a deal? When, when's the right time to do a syndication? You can do a Well, um, so there's a distinction between a joint venture and a syndication. And here's where the distinction becomes real. Uh, to, in order for something to qualify as a joint venture where you don't have to, um, uh, you don't have to follow securities laws, you have all of the investors have to be actively involved in generating their own profits. All right. So that means they're making decisions about their money. You're not, mm -hmm. right. So you're not taking control of the money. They're not putting their money into a bank account that you control, that you make the decisions about the minute that you've done that, then you've created a security. And so, so when you cross into that, cross that line, um, 
it is when you create something that's called an investment contract. So an investment contract is just, you should write these things down if you have a piece of paper and pencil. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an investment of money in a common enterprise with an expectation of profits based solely on the efforts of the promoter. Okay, so if you're the promoter and you're putting a deal together and you're asking people to passively invest with you, you have created a security. You're, you've created something called an investment contract. Investment contracts are securities. If you're selling securities, you either have to register your offering. That means getting pre-approval from regulatory agencies before you can offer it to anybody, or you have to qualify for an exemption from registration. Each exemption has a very specific set of rules. Some of them don't allow you to advertise. They only allow you to offer it one-on-one -on -one to your family and friends. Other ones allow you to advertise, but then they restrict the financial qualifications of the people that can be in your deal. So you have to understand which of those exemptions you're following, whether you're going to be bringing in non-accredited investors, then you can't advertise. If you're going to be advertising, you can't bring in non-accredited investors. Um, if you're uh, crossing state lines, you need to be operating under a federal exemption. If you're all in one state, there may be a state exemption for you. So that's where you need to have uh, someone like us give you good securities counsel so that we can help guide you to the right exemption. I know within probably five minutes of talking to someone what exemption is right for them because I just have to ask a few questions. And, and then I'll know. And you know, so you don't have to figure all that out by yourself but you do have to have good counsel to know. And then once you know, then you have to understand the rules and follow the rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's a great, great tips there. And it's uh, for when someone is getting started in regards to um, a smaller complex, right? Because um, I hear this question come up so often is when is the right time? And I, what I'm hearing is do the counsel first, right? Do the consultation first. Yes. So they, someone will know, hey, it's, you know, this is a syndicate or maybe it's a partnership. Is that correct? Uh, right. It, it's either a, a joint venture or it's a syndicate. Mm -hmm. And you need to know the difference. And just calling something a joint venture and then you doing all the work it does, you know, doesn't recharacterize it. The, if those people aren't actively involved in generating their own profits, you're still acting as if it's a securities offering. Mm -hmm. um, I see a lot of people try to do that all the time. You know, they're advertising, oh, we just want joint venture partners. Well, they really don't, but they mm -hmm. want massive investors. And, and it, you know, if their deals are ever examined by a securities regulator or they're ever sued by an investor, that whole thing is going to completely unravel. It'll be found that they were engaging in the sale of securities. They didn't follow the rules. They'll be in trouble for securities violations. They'll lose mm -hmm. the exemption. They'll probably lose their investment mm -hmm. money. You know, the whole thing is just, just goes right. Down. Right, right. The the words, and you mentioned it earlier, the words like, you know, different um, securities filings, so regulation, there's different codes and letters from mm -hmm. you know, CED. So could you dive into a little bit about that? Because I know that comes up in question quite a bit of which which one is needed or maybe the differences between the two. Sure. Three. So, so there's, there's uh, three that we kind of talked about. One is called the interest state exemption. And so that that's going to apply if everything is all in one state. You, your properties, that all of the property, well, at least 80% of the property that you're acquiring is in that state, and all of your investors are in that state. If you're doing that, then you may be able to qualify for an interest state exemption. We would have to know what state you're in. We'd have to look at the rules for that state and see what the exemption rules are. Um, 
if you're crossing state lines, which most of our clients are doing, they're either buying properties in a state where they don't live or they have investors coming in from uh, multiple states, then you need to follow the federal exemption because the federal exemption will prevent you from having to try to comply with all the individual state laws wherever your investors claim residency. So, so when you're selling securities to someone in Florida, then you have to, you know, then, then if it's a Florida exemption, you'd have to comply with their rules. If it's a federal exemption, the federal exemption would supersede any additional rules Florida would impose on that, uh, that offering. So you just have to follow one set of rules. Um, so the most common rules by far that everybody uses across the country are Regulation D, Rule 506. So that's Regulation D, Rule 506. There are two options under Rule 506. There's the original option, which has been in, in place since uh, the mid-1980s, which is now called Rule 506B. Okay, so it's 506, and then there's parentheses, small b. Okay, Rule 506B. Rule 506B allows you to raise an unlimited amount of money from an unlimited number of accredited investors. So you don't have to count accredited investors and up to 35 non-accredited investors, but they have to have some level of sophistication. Hmm. So they, it's more than just somebody with savings and a job. They have to have some training, some education, yeah. some experience, something that makes them able to understand what you're offering them and what the risks are. So um, the, the kind of the downside of rule 506B is that you can't find these people through any means of general advertising or solicitation. Right. So there's no advertising rule. The way that you prove that you didn't find them through any kind of advertising is to show that you had a pre-existing substantive relationship with them before you made them an offer to invest. So it has to predate the offer to invest. So that means if you already have your offering documents in hand, then it's too late to meet people and start making offers to them. You need to meet the people before you have the offer, and then you'll be able to offer them that. Um, so the SEC has some rules on what they believe is required to demonstrate that substantive relationship. Mm -hmm. and, uh, there's an article about that on our website that I encourage everyone to read. It, uh, so if you go to our website at syndicationattorneys.com, go into the library where there's a ton of educational material. You want to look in the articles, and it's the very first article. It's called Determining Investor Suitability. I encourage you to read that article and follow those steps whenever you meet somebody. And because that really tells you, you have to, you have to determine that investor suitability before you start making offers to them. And that means you have to actually have a conversation with them about their finances and about their investment goals and to make sure that they're a good fit for the things you might offer to them before you start making offers. And you have to document that. You have to have some kind of a record keeping system where you can keep track of that. So that's the rule 506B. Um, mm -hmm. the, other, the only other thing about rule 506B is that the investors can self-certify. So they, you know, they have to either show that they're accredited or they're not accredited, but sophisticated. And they do that uh, usually in the subscription agreement that, that we create for them when you have a securities offering and you're trying to raise money for something specific, mm -hmm. uh, that we would create a subscription agreement along with some other documents. And uh, that subscription agreement would be where they would tell you that they meet those qualifications. And you'd have to review that to make sure that they actually do meet the qualifications before you could admit them into your offering. Uh, and you'd be obligated to refuse somebody that doesn't. So that's 506B. 
Now let's talk about 506C. Okay. 506C is the new rule that came out of the Jobs Act. Uh, the mm-hmm. Jobs Act was passed in 2012. It took until 2013 before we got the rules for uh, Regulation D, Rule 506C. But Rule 506C actually allows you to advertise. So you can advertise freely. You can advertise to everybody. But the only people that can invest in your deal must be verified accredited investors. So they actually have to go through a verification process where they, you know, it's just like applying for a loan where you have to submit documentation to show that you're qualified. You have to do the same thing to prove that you're an accredited investor. And then there has to be a letter that's issued by somebody, not, not necessarily you. It could be you if you have that kind of experience. If you got prior mortgage experience, then maybe you could do that yourself or your CPA. But if not, then there's third parties that will do that for them, or they can go to their own people. So you usually want to have, so the the rule is that you, as the issuer of these investment contracts, which are securities, you as the issuer are the one that has to have some reasonable assurance that all of the people that invest with you are, are accredited and that that has been verified within the past 90 days prior to them making the investment. So the letter should you should have a letter from uh, somebody with a license, CPA, registered investment advisor, attorney, uh, somebody or you know one of these third-party companies that uh, will do the verifications. They will provide a letter from someone with a license that shows that uh, that gives you that reasonable assurance that they're accredited, and then they can make the investment with you. Hmm, that's great. Okay, I wanted to ask you interject with a question going back because this is something that comes up a lot is do I have to be um, do I have to have the property before I start, you know, asking, raising funds, That's you question comes- but it will increase your uh, likelihood of getting the money by 90%. Uh, so the hardest way to raise money is when you don't have a deal under contract. Uh, I've written many funds for people who uh, were just not successful in raising the money. Unfortunately, I try not to do that because I want to raise, I want to do offering documents for people that are going to be successful. So mm-hmm. usually, you know, you need to have a significant track record before you go out and trying to raise money in advance. And, and you've got to have a very strong team. Yeah. And, and so what, uh, in regards to, uh, I guess, making the pitch and you talked a little bit earlier about, I guess, the, the steps and process about, you know, do you present the offer first or that, that part of the meetup, the meeting, right. Where it's, you're just introducing yourself. It, what's the difference there, uh, for someone who's just meeting a new investor and not bringing up the deal at first, right? There's a lot of guidelines to that. Could you kind of clear that up? Yeah, of course. So this is a dating relationship, right? Think about a dating relationship. If you meet somebody in a bar, you're not going to ask them to marry you that day. And if you do, they're going to think you're weird and you're a freak and they're not going to do it, right? Think of an investor is going to feel the same way. So if you just first meet, the first time you meet somebody, that's just like in a dating scenario, that's an opportunity to exchange contact information. And, you know, maybe you have a conversation to see if you have a little common ground there, or maybe you have that follow-up conversation later. But then you, 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 you contact each other afterwards. So you would reach out to them afterwards. Hey, we met mm-hmm. just recently at this event, and I wanted to follow up with you just to see if we have any common ground, see if we might be able to do some business together. And then you, that's where you need to do this uh, in, in uh, determining suitability 
uh, kind of questionnaire with them. Mm -hmm. In that article that I described, there is actually a link to some suggested questions that you could use during that interview. So yeah. then you would be taking notes and you would be recording, not audibly recording, but recording in your notes what things you talked to them about, what they said, whether they were accredited, whether they were not accredited, if they're not accredited, what kind of background do they have uh, that makes them suitable and sophisticated enough to be in your deals. So you're gathering that information and in doing that, you're getting to know them. And you, you should not only be financially pre-qualifying them, but you should also be determining whether there's a good fit and you like these people and you wanna be in business with them because you could be in business with them for the next five to seven years. You could have some trying times within those five to seven years and you don't mm -hmm. want to be in people that, you know, be in business with people that are just going to turn around and sue you at the drop of a hat mm -hmm. or are going to create problems for you. So, so you want to make sure that you're in business with people that you like. Um, mm -hmm. so, and, and also this is going to be an opportunity for them to ask questions about you, but this shouldn't be a sales pitch. This isn't mm -hmm. where you go pitch them. This is where right. you, Yes, this is a, hey, let's get to know each other. Let's see if we want to further this relationship, all right? Now, once you've done that, then what? Okay, so, you know, what would be appropriate in a dating relationship? Would it be okay if you did all that and you had this great call with somebody and then you turned around and you didn't speak to them again for six months or a year? <laughs> then you called them up and said, hey, let's like to still get married. You know, they, they right. were kind of weird and freaky. So don't do that. You've got to, you've got to maintain the relationship. Yeah. So you you know, if, if this is someone local to you, try to befriend them, try to become mm -hmm. friends, try to do things together. If they're not local to you, then try to be, you know, engage them in, you know, like what you have, you have this Facebook group mm -hmm. or, you know, meetups, uh, go see people on a regular basis at meetups so that you can become acquaintances. Um, send them a newsletter, send them uh, articles, send them information that's helpful and useful mm -hmm. to your investing education. Uh, so all of those things are ways that you can further this relationship so that they'll remember you because your goal is to give them information that makes a lasting impression and then keeps you top of mind so that they haven't forgotten when you, who you are when you actually do yeah. have a deal. If you've done those steps and you've developed this relationship, now when you've got a deal, you can go ahead and start making offers to them. Right. Absolutely. What are the differences between accredited, non-accredited and sophisticated? Because the sophisticated one comes up quite a bit in questions. So what would be the differences between those? So accredited is somebody who has over two million, I mean, I'm sorry, $1 million net worth, excluding any equity in their primary residence, $1 million net worth. Okay. Or they have $200,000 a year income if they're single or $300,000 a year income if they're married. And that income has to have been for the last two years with an expectation it's going to continue in the future. So I call that the one, two, three rule. So a million, 200,000 if single, 300,000 if married. Easy to remember. Um, not accredited is everybody else, okay? But sophisticated is, somebody with more than just a job mm -hmm. who has some level of knowledge or experience that would make them capable of evaluating the risks and merits of the offering either on their own or with the help of their investment advisor. 
Okay. Their investment advisor doesn't have to be a registered investment advisor. It could be whoever they designate who's right. willing to sign their name on the subscription agreement saying, I believe this is suitable for them. Mm. I've heard recently that this term sophisticated investor came out recently, maybe in the, the 2000s. Is that true or is that go? Not I think for a long time. A long time? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, I think it was kind of like the... the I think because it was like, okay, if you're accredited, it's this, there's like these um, numerical figures that say, okay, this determines you are. And then non-accredited means you're not achieving, you're not matching those numerical figures. However, the sophisticated, it's not, it's almost like, do you have knowledge of, is that correct? It's very subjective. Um, mm. I, I will say that that's why a lot of people create training programs because you, mm -hmm. can, you can make people sophisticated by right. teaching them about what you do, right, right. In, a, in a structured training program. Right. And, uh, you know, if you don't have that or you're not inclined to do that, then send them to somebody's structured training mm -hmm. program, uh, you know, or, or get them and, you know, try to engage them so that you, they can become educated. Uh, you know, somebody who's been going to your real estate investment associations uh, yeah. meetings for the past 10 years is probably sophisticated. They've certainly mm -hmm. been exposed to a lot of investing scenarios. They would be able to understand what, what it is that they're getting into. That's really what it's about is making sure they right. have a complete understanding of what they're getting into. Right. Absolutely. What are the differences between some of these, I'm just going to say publicly uh, public companies um, that have offerings that such as like realtyshares.com or realty mogul fundrise and there's more and more of these you know popping up uh every day every year what's what's the difference between what they're doing because since they advertise to compared to some of the stuff we've discussed already so they're doing what's called crowdfunding and crowdfunding is just a legal means to advertise a securities offering. So first of all, you still got to have the securities offering, which are the documents that we create uh, that mm -hmm. the SEC requires. Uh, so you still got to have the securities offering. And then once you have that offering, then uh, they're determining whether they're going to offer that under Rule 506B or Rule 506C. If it's Rule 506C, then they're going to advertise it freely and they can bring in as many accredited investors as they want. Uh, now, during the course of operating their crowdfunding platforms, they may have developed relationships with non-accredited investors. They wouldn't be able to put them into a, a currently advertised deal, but if they have taken the time to develop the relationship with them over time, then they could potentially put them into a non-advertised deal mm -hmm. that somebody you know, asks them to help them fund. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you for clearing that up. Yeah, that's a question that we have. Um, well, let me just yeah. say that the, in the context of what your uh, listeners are probably doing, mm -hmm. you can advertise your company. You can't advertise deals. Uh, mm -hmm. So, but you also can't advertise your company in a way that, that is really just a mask for the fact that you're advertising your deals. So, you, so, you know, the best time to advertise is when you have no deals. Mm-hmm. Right. Then the only thing you can do is develop relationships. Right. Exactly. I, I like to always say, you know, you know, get started now. I think that stops a lot of people um, just in conversations of the trainings that I do. People are like, oh, but I don't have a deal yet. And yeah, you're right. It does make it harder, but you're also more protected because now you can start building the relationships on the front end, which is really important anyway. You've got to build those relationships. 
Um, but like again, with the credibility factor, it helps because eventually you're going to be asked, you know, uh, well, what's what's your background? What have you done, <laughs> right? So, and 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 that's really important. What would well, you say? And there are yeah, some yeah. answers to that. You, know, okay. if you don't have the answer to what you know. If you can't answer what have you done, then team with somebody who who has the answers. Exactly. Yeah, that was my next question is what would you be your advice to someone who says or who doesn't have that background experience, you know? Yeah. So so team with somebody who's experienced for your first few deals after two or three deals with them, you'll probably be able to do your own. Um, chances are in your first deals, you may need to bring in other people to help you guarantee loans. So even though loans are non-recourse, the lender is still looking for someone with liquid net worth equal to loan amount. And it doesn't have to be one person. They will take a combination of people. So maybe you have some net worth and then you need to bring somebody else in for an additional portion of that net worth. So, so you're always going to be creating these management structures for each syndicate that you create that uh, is perhaps unique to that one deal, you know, mm -hmm have somebody who's going to help guarantee the loan for this deal. You've got somebody you might have brought in for some credibility that has prior experience with multifamily. And then, uh, you know, you have yourself and, and the roles that you're going to fill. So all of that becomes our mm. team experience that you can market to investors and they will look at the team. Mm, that's great. Is there a limit to how many people can be in a syndication? No, there's no limit as long as they, you know, if you have, if you're doing the 506B, then you can only have 35 uh, non-accredited investors, but you can have an unlimited number of accredited investors. Okay. And where would you go? Because you've, you've had experience in both, not only just being an SEC attorney, but as an investor. So where would you go to find these kinds of people? Accredited, non-accredited, sophisticated? Where would you go? What's, what are good some tips that you would give to find these kinds of people? There's, a, there's an interesting philosophy about dating. And it says, if you want to go, you know, if you want to marry rich, you have to go where rich people go. <laughs> yeah. That's right? so true. That's so true. <laughs> So, you know, think about that when you're hanging out, you know, if you're hanging out at the local dive bar, you might not, yeah. be, you know, you, there could be, That's a few, so true. there could be a few good, ripe investors in there, but uh, you might yeah. do a little better if you were hanging out at a little higher. higher That's, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the Uber rich have a lot of time on their hands. If they're mm -hmm. not working, then the, they may be joining philanthropic groups and donating right. to and volunteering so that might be a place you can meet people but you know I, I honestly i think that most of my clients have ordinary everyday people that yeah. have jobs that have some savings either a self-directed ira or just money in their savings account or they have some money in the stock market mm -hmm. um, this is a really opportune time right yes. now to, mm -hmm. to entice people to pull some of their funds out of the stock market everybody just went through a big in downswing and yeah. a lot of people saying oh my gosh i almost had enough money to retire and now i don't well it's kind of come back uh, i'm not sure they want to ride that out again right right so they might be looking at let's get some of that money out of there and put it in a more stable asset and uh, you know your your competition for investor dollars is always the stock market right always. exactly so if anything you can do to contrast real estate to the stock market will help mm -hmm. educate your investors on why they should be investing some of their funds into real estate. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that's something I always share with people because when I when I do these trainings, I always say, look, there's the stock market, which is very volatile, no insurance, right? And it goes up and down and it, you know, makes people nervous, most most people who are not familiar with it. And uh and yeah, there's no insurance and and it it's it's unpredictable, right? So I would I want that goes into my next question here of about the opportunity right now and when you are comparing both the stock market to real estate as a secured security, um, what what's what have you been seeing in the marketplace? I guess this is more of like a predictive question is how do you see maybe the market with like COVID happening and and why is now a good time to be investing in like, you know, in real estate? Well, you know, I just interviewed David Lindahl, who's been doing this forever and ever and uh, very knowledgeable about the subject. Um, every month we do a free monthly teleseminar. So if you, if you want to know about that, you can sign up for our newsletter at our website and uh, you can get notified of our free monthly teleseminars. We've been doing them now for over three years. Every month I either speak, teach a topic related to syndication or I interview somebody who gives us some valuable information. And last month we asked Dave, you know, what do you think is going to happen, Dave? And, yeah. Uh, it was his opinion that the next uh, six to 24 months is going to be the opportunity. Um, you're going to have a lot of, uh, we are already starting to see sellers are getting realistic about their numbers, realizing that they just had a, a dip in their income. And if they wait too long, then that's going to significantly affect their pricing. So we're starting to see uh, sellers that were really tight on pricing before are starting to loosen up. Um, the lenders are puffed right now. Lenders are very mm. tough. Uh, they want additional assurances that you're not going to experience another uh, COVID, COVID downturn in the fall. Mm. Uh, so they're asking for six to 18 months of debt service reserves before they'll issue the loan to you. So that does increase the amount you need to raise. But in some cases, they will release that after a period of time or after you achieve a certain debt service coverage ratio. Mm. Um, so, you know, those are just some of the things to be aware of. Uh, you know, you've got to have a really strong uh, loan guarantor uh, or, or, you know, loan guarantor team. Um, they are, they're looking at everything right now. Right. So, you know, deals are getting done. We do have clients, our, our phone is ringing off the hook, and we've got a lot of clients coming in. Uh, and you know, prior to this, it was very hard for people to find deals. So the deals are out there. Strike while mm -hmm. it's hot. Don't wait. Uh, if you wait too long, then you'll miss this. Um, the people that invested and then bought properties and syndicated properties in 2010 and 2011 did very, very well for themselves mm -hmm. and their investors in the following years. So mm -hmm. that, that was the opportune time then. And so we're experiencing, experiencing that right now. It's here again. Yeah. And that was a great interview, by the way. Uh, really enjoyed that. Um, and also to everyone, I'm putting the link in the chat box so you can get over to syndicationattorneys.com. And also, could you just, um, I'm also going to put in there, uh, Kim, could you tell everybody about um, the investor marketing materials um, website that you have? Yeah. And what can people expect out of that? Well, so the reason that uh, I started this um, investor marketing materials website is because for years I kept telling people, if, if you have professional marketing materials, you will be able to raise money faster and for higher net worth individuals because they're looking at materials, marketing materials all the time from really big funds and hedge funds and people like that who, who can put these professional marketing materials together. So I kept telling my clients, you need to do this. And, and 
I couldn't find anybody to do it for them and they couldn't find anybody to do it for them. So we actually decided to start doing it in-house. Mm. So we spun off uh, from syndication, this syndication attorneys, this investor marketing materials.com website mm. uh, you can get through it from syndicationattorneys.com or you can go to it directly, but um, there's different products on there. So if you want to educate your own audience, so they become sophisticated investors, we can do an educational uh, program for you. We can help you put together a slide presentation that you could give to people. We can write an investment summary. That's where we would actually take your interview. You, we have professional editors and graphic designers there. That's great write your business plan for you and we will put it into a beautiful graphic design we'll give it to you as a uh, you know as a, a longer version that people can read as a flip book online um, mm -hmm. give it to you as a brochure and as a one-page uh, email that you can send out uh, if any of you think about doing a fund um, where you will be raising money in advance that would be something you would need to attach to your offering documents we can do company brochures pitch decks um, you know, any kind of thing that you need help writing and have professionally written, written. and then all of those uh, documents that come out of that site are uh, always reviewed by me or my other securities attorney just to make sure that they're legally compliant. Well, that's great. Yeah, that's definitely a great resource because I know a lot of people can, they get caught up in that or struggle with it or it even stops them from even starting the process of raising money uh, right. or putting a deal together. So that's that's a great resource. Okay, and then, uh, yeah, one last question here is, um, what would be some of the tips or um, newbie investors would make? What would you tell a newbie investor who's just getting started raising money from multifamily properties specifically? What would, would be some uh, advice to helping them avoid some early on mistakes? The very first thing I would say is read my book. I, I specifically wrote the book, How to Legally Raise Private Money, as a step-by-step -step guide to help people that have never done it before to understand the steps that you have to go through. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, you'll see from the reviews that it's really helped a lot of people. Yes. And uh, it's, it's not a huge book. It's only 160 pages. Mm -hmm. it, uh, you know, I tried to be as succinct as possible just to explain why you have to do the things that you do. And I think once you do that, then you're going to have a very much deeper understanding of the steps you need to take to put to position yourself so that you can have you know, the right deals and the right investors all coming together at the same time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Well, fantastic. Um, Kim, thank you so much for giving us your time here today. Really appreciate it. You've answered the questions that have come in. And I know there's probably going to be a, a boatload of questions after people see this on the Facebook. But I will say this, um, anyone who has additional questions for Kim directly, the best thing to do is get over to her website. Um, I know it's posted here, but I'll also post it in the group. Get over to her website, set up a call with a consultation call with her so that you can get the right counsel and advice you need. Um, Kim, any steps they should take to, to make that happen? I want to make sure I said that correctly. Yeah, so, yeah no, thank you so much for that. Uh, yeah, okay. if you go to syndicationattorneys.com, you can schedule an appointment. Um, I do want to let everybody know that we do have something called a pre-syndication retainer, which is uh, just kind of a lower cost item that you can get started with us as uh, your counsel. And with it, then you'll get up to three hours of access to uh, me or my other securities attorney. And then you'll also um, be invited to our clients only Facebook group where uh, we are doing now live uh, weekly masterminds. 
Oh, um, nice. Yeah, we've got one coming up tomorrow. And so we're really just trying to dig deep to help people get all the steps lined up and everything you know lined up so that they can really start exploding their businesses and have the right investor marketing plan in place. Fantastic. Great. Thank you. All right. Well, Kim, thanks so much for, again, for taking the time. This has been, I know, really helpful to everyone that's going to listen to it uh, and for those that are here with us. So thanks so much. And All right. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your time there in, in sunny Florida. All right. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you moved to a, a warmer place. You know, it's really nice down there. It is lovely. All okay. right. Thank you All so right. much. Uh -huh. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to get over to the resources that were shared in the podcast, but also... Be sure to share it with another investor, maybe someone who's raising money or maybe stuck on raising money and or learning how to do it in their real estate business. We, uh, we'd appreciate that. And also get over to our YouTube channel and just simply type in Fearless Millionaire and it'll come up right up there. We're the only ones. Get over to our YouTube training where we can show you how to get started in real estate investing starting from the inside out. Thanks so much for joining in and I'll see you on the next episode. Take care.